Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenge Chapter podcast. And uh, today I'm actually speaking to you from Koblenz, Germany. So uh, I'm also going to be here until like the next Monday. So I'm going to record two episodes from Koblenz, but of course the second one will be like the, the one after the event. Right now, uh, I'm just going to, of course, go through the usual stuff. I haven't actually seen anything in Koblenz yet. I've literally just arrived here like an hour ago. Uh, and I will be going to the courts in about three hours. So uh, basically, I'm recording this before the start of Monday's play. Um, but yeah, for now, we, of course, have four events to talk about and four more to preview, including that one in Koblenz, of course. So yeah, let's start with the recaps as usual. Uh, we're not going to be sort of um, getting off the beaten track here. Anyway, uh, there were two Challenger 125s. I think both of them pretty exciting, although we're going to start in Otinier Louvain-Lanef in Belgium. Uh, second edition of that event, of course. And this one was won by Leandro Ridi over Borna Cioric, with Damir Jumhur and Brandon Nakashima being in the semifinals. So when it comes to Ridi, he is now on a 12-1 and uh, record this year and that's 12 and 0 indoors. His only loss still is that one in Tenerife to FCF via retirement. So basically he won a title, he retired the next uh, next the, the week after in an um, opening round of a challenger, and then he won another title. It's an insane start to the season, but, but we know that Ridi has it in him, right? I mean, we remember that at the end of um, 2023, sorry, 2022, he had that run of two challenger titles in a row, indoors, of course, all of his titles have come indoors. And um, I mean, yeah, when the guy gets on a hot streak, it's, he's just impossible to stop. And obviously uh, he's such a fun player to watch as well when he's in full flight, he plays everything on his own terms, the way he's returning serve and uh, some of the wins that he got here coming from the qualifying as well were pretty insane, you know, Chorich, Nakashima, Hussler. Uh, yeah, whichever match you throw him into, he's going to be dominating, he's going to have it on his own racket. Basically, what is sort of still a question is how he's going to do outdoors. I think we saw a bit of that at the beginning of the 2023 season when he had that great run to Canberra final, to the Canberra final, lost to Fuchovic. That was an amazing run. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, last year his body just didn't hold up. He started the year pretty okay, but the body just didn't hold up. So hopefully this is different. I do think that he might be one of the top 100 debuts that I missed this year, but we'll see. Um, of course, he still has a lot more, a lot of points to gain. Again, it's going to be a question of whether his game is going to be, well, at least 90% effective in outdoor conditions when you know you don't have that perfect no wind, no sun no sort of out, out, outside factors scenario. But yeah, we'll see about it. Uh, it's just um, that Ridi ended the year 2023 on a 1-9 record, I guess, in his last 10 matches. So it was hard to believe in him actually breaking the top 100 this year, especially as he fell out of the top 300 at the beginning of the season. But now it actually seems like a real possibility and he absolutely has the peak game to do it. I actually, uh, also I had him on the 2023 top 100 debut list, but of course that didn't work out too well. I still think that it was mostly injuries and then yeah, just falling into a big, horrible run that really destroyed his confidence. But yeah, for now, uh, he is doing absolutely amazing in these events and 12 and one for the year, I think that really speaks uh, volumes and you know, it's really all you need to know about his runs so far. 
Uh, when it comes to Borna Choric, the finalist, of course, Choric is the first top 50 player to take a wildcard into a challenger this year. He was struggling early on. He was struggling with Maligani Alves. He was struggling with Mike Schack. But then he sort of speeds up a little bit. Shelbach, Jumhur. He was serving very well all week. I think we all know that Borna, after that um, injury that he had a couple of years ago, he sort of improved his serve even because the injury forced some technical tweaks into his delivery into the the motion and uh, basically that actually made that serve more dangerous and this is why he's now a lot of the time he's more dangerous in indoor conditions now or like faster conditions in general so like uh, Madrid of course last year he had a good run and of course he won Cincinnati in 2022 so um, for Choric I think the final it was just a question of his second serve actually not holding up too well against Ritis returning and he did he was on the back foot consistently but what a fighter though like Choric a few times this week was on the ropes I think especially against Mike Schack and um, yeah he's just such a good competitor of course and managed to stay alive managed to make the final so I think uh, still got something out of this week despite not winning the title as a top 40 player, he got that uh, much practice that he wanted. And now he's going to head to Montpellier. When it comes to the semi-finalists, uh, Damir Jumhur, perhaps the most surprising one, but then again, his draw, you know, it did open up significantly, I would say. Kachmazov, Piroš, Squire, that's not exactly that tough, although it's also not super easy. And um, Borna Cioric in the semis, that was actually a pretty tight match as well. He he had a few moments when he easily could have snatched the set and then who knows. So uh, still a decent showing for Jumhur, I think. Um, you know, he's still probably going to be a decent factor at the challenger level this year. And um, yeah, let's him keep, keep it all going because, um, of course, we've said a few times, I think, that the um, sort of main prime of Jumhur's career it was just a bit of a weird point in time to me, like the fact that he won three main tour titles, for example, in two seasons. And it seems that right now the game has evolved a little bit into a point where uh, maybe Jumhur's skill set, which is so unique, is not as relevant, is not as efficient. But of course, he's still a threat for 200 titles. And um, well, last year he, he did get one after a few years of a break in Istanbul. And uh, the second semi-final is Brandon Nakashima, speaking of very good records for the year, 11-3 and three now. But again, he loses to a very talented junior, and that's happening to him all the time. I mean, junior, former, recent junior. What I'm trying to say is that out of the last five, sorry, six losses for Nakashima, five came against very recent Grand, Grand Slam junior finalists. So Ridi, uh, Menshik twice, Kazo, and Draper. And the one loss that is the exception is Marterer, was actually in a Grand Slam doubles junior final in 2013. Um, I, I, I still don't count him because it's not recent and it's also doubles, but you know, I think there is a bit of a story there. As Nakashima also lost to, also almost lost to Lantalusa on the way to the Tenerife title. I think Nakashima is getting outplayed by more talented players. And I was chatting about this with a friend of mine who's uh, from San Diego and like, you know, sort of knows Brandon from some early um, junior events. And basically he said that, you know, but but once Brandon was that talented junior, like, why am I, why am I so harsh on, on him here? Because, uh, because once he was that talented junior, but was he ever truly like that sort of, you know, naturally skilled as Menchik, Ridi, Kazo, Draper? I guess, I guess it is a question, but um, it, it still is the case that Nakashima is like very overwhelming to maybe let's say the more normal challenger players, you know? 
the the ones sort of run of the mill at the at this level. Whereas yeah, against players who are like let's say more naturally skilled than him, he seems to struggle because that weight of shot is not that scary to them anymore, I suppose. Uh, but anyway, of course, it's still a great season for him so far. He's in, back into the top 100. And I think um, that was pretty clear, at, even at the beginning of the year. It was pretty clear for us after the few challenger appearances at the end of last year that Brandon is going to be back in the top 100. It's more so a question of whether he can at some point start over, um, yeah, just getting better results than he was in the past. But that is not a topic that we will sort of uh, have resolved today. It's uh, more, maybe more so for now. We just know that he is going to be back in the top 100 and he's going to be back there pretty shortly. Well, he is already there, but I'm, I'm saying like establishing himself. And also when it comes to the winner picks this week, I didn't get any points. I, I did come close on one occasion, but it's not here. In Otinielu Vonlanev, I was trying to um, sort of tap into that weaker bottom half of the draw. Of course, at the time of the recording, I didn't know where Reedy was going to land. I don't know if I would have picked him if I saw him in this section, although maybe because it was pretty soft. But anyway, I, I decided to look for Benjamin Bonzi and sort of bank on the fact that Nakashima was going to be tired. But Bonzi lost to Andreev in the opening round, who I also didn't know was going to play him. But it's still not a great loss for Bonzi, who um, I thought was going to get some good much practice out of this. But actually, he is now 0-4 and four for the year. Uh, so yeah, it's a little scary coming into the indoor season for him and he's outside of the top 100 now. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think eventually Bonzi, maybe if he played Nakashima in the quarters, maybe he would have had a shot because Nakashima blew a lead against Hoinski and was already getting a bit tired. But then again, um, Ridi probably beats him. So yeah, um, not, not a great pick on my from uh, from my perspective, to be honest. And yeah, lastly, when it comes to the doubles, it's actually again Luke Johnson and Skander Mansuri, who are already 11-2 and two this year, seven titles over the past uh, two seasons, including five challengers. And they've now won back-to-back in Nontaburi and Otinielu Vonglanev. So despite having to fly over, only one super tiebreak played along the way against Matos and Merigeni Alves, the Brazilian pairing. <clears throat> And that will be it for Otinia Luvonlanev. Now we go to Quimper, which was the other challenger, 125. And this, this has a very high profile winner as well, which is Pierre Igerber. And Pierre Igerber wins a challenger title after a long, long while. The last title for Herbert was in 2016, Orléans. And he was, he was also in the final in Ortisei 2018. But since then was on a streak of five lost challengers semifinals. And of course, uh, there were years when he barely played the Challenger Tour because he was deep in the top 100. But la- la- especially to the last season, like he played a pretty full Challenger schedule and just didn't do much. However, uh, it seems that with this year, he's he's getting back up there, you know. He uh, had that match against Gabriel Diallo at Australian Open qualifying, which was really good. We remember where um, he was sort of like... Up in a up in the decider, then there was that crazy tiebreak when uh, Mariana Veljovic forgets that it's to ten points, but but still it was a very nice showing from him I thought, and in Quimper he manages to win the title without dropping a set. He uh, won uh, the opening set in a tiebreak in the first four rounds, and then in the final it was like a true clinic. You know, six three six two against Idukovic. I think in every aspect of the game he excelled on the day. He was hitting his spots excellently on serve. Obviously, that's something that he's always been known for. 
He was moving well, he was making one Idukovic play one more ball with the slice, he was finding amazing angles of the ground, both sort of on attack and also from neutral positions. And um, yeah, I, I just don't, really don't think he could have played much better in that final. So it's a, it's a massive success for Urber, his fifth challenger title, but as I said, first since 2016. Uh, he was also the winner in Quimper in 2014, so second time he wins this, and of course all his titles have come indoors as well. And when it comes to Duja Idukovic, uh, who is, of course, the, who was the runner-up, uh, it's also a pretty decent start. And we remember him at the end of last year winning that challenger title indoors in Kobe, which was quite surprising. But now he keeps it going. I mean, he's actually pretty decent on hard courts and indoors now. I think Duja also is a potential top 100 player in the future. Um, I, I don't know if this year he kind of has not much to defend from now until April. So the, the opportunity will be there for him, but it's not like super close yet. So I don't know if it's, if it's such a massive opportunity, but I think especially this versatility, I think this guy will definitely have like a peak season when he goes into the top 100 at some point. Obviously the weaponry is there. It's just like maybe a matter of mental, uh, the mental side of the game that's been holding him back over the years. But yeah, today, uh, today or sorry, this week he beat uh, guys like Cressy, Mayo, these were some good wins. I think Cressy breaking him in the last game at 7-5 in the decider. Also against Mayo, he was low 5 down in the first set tiebreak and he won at 7-5. So he actually wasn't the first player to crumble there. But yeah, he didn't have much to do in the final. I mean, Herbert just outplayed him very, very efficiently. And then when it comes to the semi-finalists, Arul Mayo already his second semi-final of the season. So both challengers that he played. Uh, good win over Diallo. Misoric as well, uh, he had a walkover from Virtanen in the quarters and then lost to Duya Idukovic in the semis. So I think Duya, um, yeah, again, that was just the, the matter of the first set tiebreak, which he lost from 5-0. That wasn't amazing from Mayo. But otherwise, it's a, it's a super start to the year. He's really like only losing to fellow very talented players. Kazo, Menshik, Idukovic. These are literally his losses for the year, 7-3. and three. So like maybe players with a very high upside is, is how I should put it. And then when it comes to Matteo Martino in the uh, semifinals, that's also less and less of a surprise, I would say, with uh, as sort of as time goes by, right? In 2023, he had a number of very solid showings at the challenger level, including the semifinals in the last event of the season in Maya, but also the semifinals in Rennes, uh, Rennes earlier. Um, I think this, that was all for his challenger semis in 2023. But yeah, he's just getting up to that level more and more. Um, definitely a, maybe a more complete player than some of these that he beat or some of these that he even maybe would have had to face later if he beat Herbert. But he manages to uh, to defeat Petri Pericard, Kopshiva, Borg and, lost, and loses to Herbert. So that was a pretty cool run for him for sure. And since then he's already lost in Montpellier qualifying to Svcina. So a bit of an opportunity missed there, I think, given that Dalibor uh, obviously doesn't have a game profile that's really indoor uh, friendly, I would say. And when it comes to the winner picks, who the hell did I have here? <laughs> As I said, I didn't do that great uh, this week. Oh, I had Artur Rindernech, who made the quarters. I, I can't really be that uh, disappointed with this because Rindernech wins two matches and then loses to Pierre Gerber, the eventual champion. So I think this pick was actually fine. It's just that he lost in the quarterfinals, so it maybe doesn't look amazing at first glance. And then we're going to Punta del Este, which was a challenger 75, of course, on clay in Uruguay. 
And we've got Gianluca Magher winning the title, which uh, I think is a bit of a surprise. But then again, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember if on the show or maybe it was just a tweet that I made. But it was definitely mentioning the fact that he's coming back after um, a few months of, of injury, basically. And he played a very good week in Buenos Aires the first time around when he defeated Guillen Meza, then had that gritty win over Neumeyer and lost to Fonseca winning just four games, but that was probably Fonseca's best performance of the week. Uh, but yeah, it was clear that Magar is playing pretty well from uh, the get-go, sort of right away after the injury, but now he took it to like another level. So he starts from the qualifying, so it's another qualifying champion this week after Ridi, and he beats Casanova, Taberner, then finds this win from 1-4 down in the decider to Gakov in the opening round, and from then on, his like, draw was extremely tough. Comesania, Juan Manuel Serundolo, Jaginato, Tirante. That's an amazing clay run. And um, yeah, I mean, Magar totally played it, played like the sort of the, the caliber of, the, of a player who can defeat guys like that. So yeah, it's, it's a very good restart for him after a weak 2023 campaign, even before the injuries, it was weak. But after, with the injuries, of course, it was, it was much tougher for him to stay at a relevant ranking, if you may. And then when it comes to Tiago Agustin Tirante, a bit of an opportunity missed, I would say, because if he won the title, he would have been only 11 points behind the top 100. Now it's still a little tricky, but well, he will have a good shot until April, I think, because in April he defends all of these altitude points. But then again, of course, he can do it on altitude. Like this is a guy who wins every single time on altitude. He like makes finals wins titles actually he still hasn't won a challenger title which wasn't held on altitude this was his first well actually second or third chance but um yeah still every single title of of the three that he has he has it at altitude and um yeah when it comes to his route he beat Roncadelli, Haydn, Murkeldelian so it was definitely a bit softer than Magers and in the semi-finals he had a walkover over Buruchaga so um I think in the final he held up okay for a set but he was definitely on the back foot a lot more than he likes. You know, all the backhand patterns between him and Magar, because you, you guys know that they play like serve plus one forehand tennis on clay. Despite being clay specialists, they are very aggressive and they play serve plus one forehand tennis essentially. But Tirante is going to be losing all the backhand patterns and also the flatter pace of Magar. It, it wasn't a great matchup. And uh, after set one, he was also like, really dropped off physically. I think that was mostly Magar's um, sort of, um, yeah, ideas and ma- the way Magar played that made Tirante fatigued. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's what it ends up with. So it's, it's still a good run for him, but given that he was so close to being 11 points away from the top 100, a little bit of an opportunity missed, especially given he won the opening set against Magar. But after that, he didn't have a yeah, much of a shot really ever. Um, let me tell you how many points away he is now from the top 100. It will be 15 plus 27, 42. So yeah, I mean the opportunity is still there. We'll see if he if he gets there over the next two or three months because I think that's gonna be his main uh, chance this year. And then when it comes to the semi-finalists, I was very surprised with this run by Marco Cecchinato, who the most few times that the recent the most recent few times that we watched him just seemed completely washed and out of it, uh, you know, motivation-wise, focus-wise, intensity-wise. 
But now he actually beats, uh, he beats Garin, Rodriguez Taverna, Albot, loses to Mager. So all in all, a very good run for him. And it's just a shame he couldn't be more competitive in the semifinals. And speaking of non-competitive semifinals, of course, Buruchaga withdrawing ahead of the, the, the semifinal against Tiafo. Uh, but he did get Tiafo, Jesus, Tirante, I don't know why. Uh, just, I guess, both start with a T. And uh, yeah, basically on the way to the semis, he beat Monteiro and Olivo in a couple of classics. He also beat Guillen Meza. So it was a very good run for Buruchaga, but it's a shame that long match against Monteiro apparently didn't allow him to keep playing in the event. Uh, that was a pretty fun one as well, Buruchaga Monteiro. For a while, I thought maybe we we're going to get a repeat of that 2020 amazing final between Monteiro and uh, Cecchinato. But of course, that didn't end up happening in the end. And um, Monteiro lost in the quarters, whereas Cecchinato lost in the semifinal. Uh, but yeah, uh, when it comes to my winner pick in um, in Punta del Este, again, I don't even remember who I had. Uh, probably, oh yeah, Federico Coria, who lost to Renzo Olivo in the opening round. And I can already spoiler uh, give you a spoiler ahead of the previews that they're playing again in the opening round in Piracicaba. So that's quite surprising and... I don't know what it will bring up really, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a really poor loss for Korea, I think, especially at the at the sea level event. I don't think he should be losing this anymore. And when it comes to the uh, doubles, it was actually won by Ugo Delian and Federico, uh, sorry, not Ugo Delian, but uh, Murkel Delian and Federico Agustin Gomez. And the interesting part was that uh, they beat Andreozzi and Duran in the final. So that was, of course, a pretty big surprise. I mean, Andreozzi and Duran were the big favorites in all their matches that they played this week. And probably rightfully so, although, of course, Arias Zeballos are also a dangerous pairing, but they lost to Schneider Walter. And Arias Zeballos actually lost to Schneider and, and, uh, and Wallner for the second week in a row as well. So that's quite a surprising twist. Um, that um, they s- seem to be losing to the sparing now consistently. Whereas, yeah, uh, Andreozzi Duran, of, obviously the big favorites for the title, basically anytime they play one of these events, but they almost lost to Colarini Olivo in round one. And then in the final, they did lose to uh, Fe- Murkel Delian and Federico Agustin Gomez. And actually 6-3-6-2, so it wasn't that close either. And then Indian Wells, the last challenger, we had challenger 50. And Blaze Bignell claims his maiden challenger title over Zacharis Fajda. And for Bignell, this is actually the first um, challenger title, of course. Uh, he was in the final in Lima last year, but he's been doing pretty good after uh, after like a, f- a couple of years of college on the on the pro tour. Seems like he's not getting back there, at least, you know, based on his scheduling. And um, what has to be said about Bignell is that, well, this is the first challenger title for Jamaica since 2010 when Dustin Brown won a couple for Jamaica, then he switched to Germany and won the rest for Germany. Now, of course, he's representing Jamaica again, but he's not playing singles anymore. And Bignell, I mean, he's a pretty basic power hitter, honestly, but when he finds that first serve, when he has good rhythm on it, he's definitely quite strong. And also, of course, yeah, the forehand is is a nice heavy tool as well. So I think both on clay and on hard, he's definitely quite dangerous. Uh, and that challenger 50 level is, is was pretty nice for him right now. Like that was a good opportunity for a breakthrough. Last week in Indian Wells, he was a bit unlucky to run into Brandon Holt in the opening round, the eventual runner-up. And then this week he plays Holt in the quarters. Holt retires against him. 
and uh, Bicknell eventually wins the title without dropping a set, although about the final, I guess I will say a few words in a second. But yeah, that's that was the run for Blaise Bicknell to gain his maiden challenger title. And then Zacharis Faida, the uh, runner-up, he was sort of in a similar spot, sim- under similar pressure as Navone last week, where Navone picked up that Buenos Aires wildcard and was like fully expected to win, fully expected to dominate the field. The same with Sfaida. He drops a set to former top 10 junior Bor Artnak in the quarterfinals, but he wins the decider with a bagel, so it doesn't really matter. Seems like he's cruising towards the title. Seems, sounds, you know, sounds familiar. It's like Navona in Buenos Aires. And then he has this showing in the final. I mean, Navona at least played pretty decent in the final and had to uh, beat uh, sort of, it was more so Bagnis who turned the match around. But here's Fida was just awful. I mean, kudos to Bignell for doing to the Sfaida serve what most players should be doing, which is just crashing it for winners half the time. But Zach was like, no intensity in his footwork. I called it Ala Kozlov on uh, Twitter because it literally was that slow. I, I'm sorry to Steph for him catching strays here, but like really he was so slow on his feet, like so lacking intensity, extra pushy on the forehand, basically decelerating on half of them while still making mistakes. It was a bizarre showing from Svada, really. Like I, you rarely see something like it. And I think when it comes to cleaning up titles like this, it helps to have a high floor, which Svada actually has, right? But then again, when he's so out of it, so unfocused, he kind of doesn't have any like big weapons to rely on, right? Anything to to back him up and help him in times of trouble. So maybe it makes sense that when Spider has this horrific showing from time to time, he might just lose pretty easily. But yeah, that was just bizarre. Uh, definitely one of the weakest final performances we're going to see this year. I would even say, you know, the last couple of years, I'm struggling to find one. There was one, I think, between uh, Mike Moe when he played maybe Tungin Wu in the final in... Uh, late 2022 or 2021 i don't remember exactly what it was but but there was one mike mo showing i remember in the final which was similar but still i think this one was worse and then uh, andre Yag- andre lagan the semi-finalist i actually knew him only from this one video i don't know if you guys saw it but you you probably find it still on twitter so uh, last year at an itf event he fell and twisted his ankle but was like very theatrical about it it, it smelled funny. It smelled fishy, you know, like he, he wasn't acting like a person who just twisted his ankle and then he basically retired on the spot. Uh, it was a pretty famous video on Twitter, but anyway, um, yeah, uh, but when it comes to Ilagan, he actually has a very decent lefty game, which I'm surprised by. Uh, I think he did make his un- opponents uncomfortable with it a lot this this year, uh, sorry, this year, this week. I'm excited to see how he keeps going with this, if he's able to produce these runs on a more regular basis. I mean, he was outside the top 600 here. Started from the qualifying, beats Darian King, beats guys like Federico Gallo, the only other top 200 player in the field outside of Svaida. He beats Tim Handel, Tyson Kwiatkowski in a great, great comeback in the quarterfinals and actually loses a very decent win, a decent match against Blaise Bignell in the semis as well. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit out of nowhere, but it was funny to see that guy who last year had that uh, viral video, which kind of made him infam- infamous on tennis Twitter, uh, suddenly actually turn out to have a very decent game. And then Sebastian Fanslow, the semifinalist. I think about Fanslow, we've said it many, many times. 
he's like basically stuck in his career and he's always been he's way too good for the ITFs he's got like 12 titles there or something like that but at the same time he is just too weak for the challengers for the most part however from time to time he will lock up a decent run this is a challenger semi-final at the 50 level which of course suits him pretty well given his the, the breakdown that I just sort of gave you and he beats Pospisil here in the opening round which we know Vasek isn't fit, but it's still a cool moment for Fanslow. He beats the lower and the lesser Spida, Trevor, and then Lerner Teen in the quarters in a in a long battle. But of course, uh, he didn't actually pressure the uh, older, uh, the higher ranked Spida in the semifinals. Uh, and yeah, when, when it comes to my winner pick, I did have Spida here, who I think was just like a very obvious selection. And I, of course, thought before the final that I got it right, but no. And when it comes to doubles, another big story here, Ryan Segerman, Patrick Tchatch, they keep going. They are actually 48 and 2 as a duo now. 12 titles, 8 at the ITF level, 4 challengers now. They are 8-0 for the year. They actually had to play the super tie breaks in 5 of these matches. So, you know, they've been pushed pretty often, but they actually haven't gone above like 10-7 in these super tiebreakers so far every single time they're, they're winning 10-7 or easier so it's it's been okay for them like it's not like they're close to actually losing in most of these but yeah the run that they're on it's just amazing obviously they were the big favorites in every single match that they played really this year so far the least against uh, Kwiatkowski and Lawson in both matches but but still it's yeah it's it's a pretty amazing run for for the two Americans who are basically on a cash pattern type of rise and will be in the top 200 already after the Australian Open in the in the next rankings, which should come out in like a few hours from when I'm recording this. And the last thing we have to do is the match and upset of the week section. As usual, I put out the poll, the poll on Twitter. I think there were a few options that sort of could have shaken up the poll, but I just decided to go with one selection per event. Realistically, though, I should have included both Choric Majchak and Berks Goffin in the uh, in the poll. What's leading right now is Buruchaga Monteiro is second with 33% of votes and Choric Majchak has 46. And this is actually going to be my pick as well. And I um, didn't mention Camille on purpose earlier because I knew that I was going to be talking about him later anyway. And um, I have to say that his, ga- his ground game is just looking really good for where he is in his comeback. He beat uh, Max Kasznikowski in the opening round in the all-Polish battle here in Otinie Luwonanew. And then he loses to Borna Cioric. But honestly, for a large chunk of the match, Kamil was dominating of the ground. Uh, I think Cioric was keeping himself in it mostly with the serving and uh, the grit that he has. Then Kamil doesn't take a few chances at the beginning of the third set and loses. But I think the match was extremely high quality from both. Lots of fun, like crafty points even where Mike Shack is attacking and finishes it off at the net or Choric has to get there uh, because, you know, it's, it's not that easy for these guys to beat them, themselves off the ground with how well they move and also how they're like, they have decent power on their shots, but maybe not like outright, you know, kill the ball. And um, yeah, I thought, that was, I thought that was a really high quality match, which um, gives you a lot of hope in regards to the Mike Shack comeback, definitely that uh, he should be fine. And a fun twist about that all Polish match with Kasznikowski is also that they have been both nominated for Poland's match in Davis Cup now against Uzbekistan. And they are the number two and number three. But in, but in which order? After this event, 
I have no idea what Mariusz Fürstenberg is going to do about that because um, I would probably go Camille actually. I would I would probably put Camille in there uh, rather than Max because he beat him because yeah he sort of proved his worth in a in a big event already. But I think we should beat beat Uzbekistan any either way. You know, Sultanov is fairly dangerous. Like you could imagine Sultanov beating Mike Shakur Kashnikovsky, right? But can you imagine Sultanov uh, sorry Fomin beating them? Not really. And doubles should be an easy win for the Poles. And of course, Hubert Kurkacz is playing. So, yeah, probably it's going to be easy. I, I would I would expect it to be easy at least. And actually, now that I think of it, you know what we might do as well? We might also talk about Slovakia's... Um, yeah, about Slovakia's Davis Cup match uh, coming up just briefly. Because, of course, we're still trying to like honor Jakub in some way. Uh, the former co-host, of course, of this of this show, and um, rest in peace. And um, we are sort of still trying to maybe keep talking about the Slovak players a little bit more. And usually, when Davis Cup was coming around, I, we would be talking about the Polish matchup, and we would be talking about the Slovak matchup as well. So Slovakia is playing uh, away in Serbia. They're playing on indoor clay actually against the Serbians. And the Serbians have do not have Djokovic in, but they have Jere, Lajovic, Kecmanovic, Medjedovic. So it's going to be an uphill battle. Let's be honest. I think um, Slovakia recently, they don't really have a good double sparing, which is, well, they have Zelenaj, who is like obviously on the verge of retirement. They've got Pokorny, Kovalik, Klein and Molchan on the team. So the doubles is going to be fairly random. Then again, I mean, Serbia will have Tzacic along with one singles player, but I think Serbia is favorite in the singles for sure. And yeah, in the long run, do you expect Molchan and Klein to post three wins here? They can post two, I think. But yeah, definitely Slovakia is not the favorite. Molchan uh, in pretty weak form. Klein actually is pretty is going amazing to start the year. And indoor, indoor clay could be a profile that really suits his forehand. So it's not the end of the world. So I think they, they kind of have to rely on Klein picking again. That's that's what I think. But of course, it's it's also a much stronger group than um, Poland because uh, Slovakia is in, in the qualifiers for the finals, whereas Poland is in World Group 1 playoffs. So uh, it's, it's, of course, a much stronger level. So it's not a surprise that they... Uh, the Slovakian team has Uzbekistan. Uh, sorry, the Slovakian team has Serbia, whereas we get to play Uzbekistan. It's just not the same level of this, the, not the same tier of Davis Cup competition. And the last thing we have to do when it comes to the recaps is also the upset of the week section. So let me see. I mean, Shell by Hover that was pretty decent, but nothing crazy, I believe. Um, we've, we've seen that Shellbach can be um, good on indoor slower courts now. And of course, Gofeun, despite being the defending champion, he's like a bit spotty right now and just has good, great patches of play, but not necessarily anything, you know, crazy. Um, Murkel Dalian beating Camilo Guacarabelli. Hmm. That was that was pretty decent, yeah, in Punta del Este, definitely. But maybe it's actually going to be Bigner over Svaida, simply. I think so, right? There's also Artnak over Kruger, but I think Kruger going uh, off a title and Artnak also being a promising junior. Trevor Svaida beating Tennis Sandgren, that was also huge, especially as he lost his opening set with a bagel. But um, no, I'm actually going to go with Blaise Bicknell over Zachary Svaida. I think it's kind of self-explanatory, like 
yeah, it was, it, it just wasn't on my radar at all that this could happen. Svida was too clean all week. He has a very high floor. He theoretically should be beating guys like this and, you know, just winning this title after getting the wild card. But um, yeah, he actually doesn't. And um, obviously, once we once you sort of also learn how he did it, it was definitely a, a pretty shocking performance from him. Not taking anything, any credit away from Blaze Bicknell, but I think even he probably realized that he actually didn't have to do that much on the day. I mean, it, it was literally 56 minutes, you know, between them. So I think that kind of says it all. It's a, it's a very telling number. And then we go to the previews. And as I said, I am in Koblenz. This is actually also the the biggest challenger this week. So that's naturally where we're going to start. And it's a challenger 100. And the defending champion was Safiulin, but of course he's so high ranked right now that he did, that is not defending his title. And let's let's get going. So the top seed is Yuri Rodionov playing Denis Novak. Then we have Valentin Royer playing against the qualifier. This is a great round one match, by the way. Blocks against Pechi Pericard, and this is already today. I'm gonna see it today, on Monday. Then there's also Moleker against the qualifier. Choinski Travalia, Henry Squire with wildcard plays Jules Marie, Jean Vieku Kushkin, and another great round one matchup for today is Dan Bellucci. I love this one. I think Jean Vieku Kushkin might be today as well, but I'm, I'm definitely more excited for Blocks, Pechi Pericard, and Dan Bellucci. And when it comes to the bottom half, we've got Zdenek Kolasz as the fifth seed playing a qualifier. Then Tom Gensch has a wild card and, and he plays a qualifier as well. There's a lot of qualifiers here with Billy Harris facing a qualifier. And we might get a Harris versus Harris in the second round because one of these will, uh, well, if Lloyd Harris beats Oscar Otta and if Billy Harris uh, beats a qualifier. And then the last quarter has Brandon Nakashima as the second seed playing Alejandro Morocanias. This is a rematch they played with in Tenerife and Morocanias wasn't able to threaten. And then Ryan Peniston or a qualifier is going to be the second round opponent for either of these. And also there's Passaro Marchenko and Brancaccio against Max Hans Reberg with a wildcard. The qualifying is actually really exciting and I thought that maybe I was going to miss out on something on the first day, but all the players I really wanted to see have made it into the final round. And who are they? Uh, well, of course, Daniel Michalski is a, is a pole and um, yeah, uh, that, that that's one of them. But main, first and foremost, Filip Krajinovic coming back after... For the first time since May, actually, this is the first, first event since May, and he only lost one game to Rvbenski in the first round. So I'm assuming that he's probably going to qualify against the Jupovic. And also Martin Klijan, who got a retirement from Matthias Borg. He's coming back to the challenger level here. He gets a wild card to the qualies, and he's going to play Marvin Müller. With Klijan, yeah, not sure what to expect. His first couple of ITF results weren't as great as maybe as Mike Schacks were, for example. So I'm not really sure what to expect from Klijan, but I definitely want to watch him live again. Uh, or maybe not even again. I mean, I wonder if I've ever seen Klijan live. And in fact, I, it's, it's kind of possible that I never did, you know? Uh, because when he, when I first started going to challengers, I don't think he was really ever at that sort of level. Like he, he wasn't playing challengers too much back then. So I think in like 2019, he wouldn't be playing in Poland, for example, in 2020, I don't think he would have been playing in Marseille when I visited that, that main tour event. So yeah, in fact, I believe that this should be my first time watching Collision Life. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it is. So yeah, I'm very excited to see Klijan and Krajinovic. Krajinovic, I think I've seen live before. Uh, 
that would have to be Marseille. Although actually, no, also not because he came to Marseille. I remember that he had a good run the week before and then he came to Marseille and withdrew. So I actually saw him at the venue, but then he withdrew. So uh, yeah, it will actually be the first time for me with both Krajinovic and Kližan. So I'm very excited for that one. Michalski plays this Hepper in the uh, opening round. So that's also pretty fun. King Kenny is always good to watch. Uh, Lamazine is also there. So these are probably like the main threats coming from the qualifying. So I could easily pick like uh, Krajinovic to win this title, you know? I'll think about it. Although I think the the quality of the draw sort of just makes me want to go for something else. Then again, I I really don't want to overrate that Krajinovic win over Vbenski today because he dropped just one game and I didn't watch it. So yeah, Nakashima, I don't know because his back was giving out a little bit in uh, Otinie and I know he gets a couple of days of rest at least here but it's still pretty tricky for me to pick him I think um, he does have a pretty nice quarter though I think if he's going to be healthy he makes the semis again then the the third quarter has Kolash who was in the semis last year I think Lloyd Harris as well against Billy Harris second round or even Ota and that's pretty dangerous I don't really know who to pick there there's that Hoinski Travalia Bellucci section Hmm. You know what? Yeah, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to pick Filip Krajinovic to win this title from the qualifying draw, straight up, first event back. I'm going to pick Filip Krajinovic. I don't know if this is possible, but uh, I'm just kind of lost on who should, who I should be picking here. And and that's why I'm going to go for it. Yeah, but uh, again, uh, I'm, I'm going to be there the whole week in Koblenz. Well, not fr- from today, from Monday. I wasn't at the first round of the qualifying and I'm uh, hopefully going to get to see a lot of amazing tennis. Of course, live tennis is always good. Last year, the court was so slow, like as molasses, really. I don't know if it's going to still be like that because it seemed to like be speeding up as the week went on last time. But yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to check out the venue. Haven't been there there. As, as I said, I basically arrived in Koblenz just one hour ago on an overnight, overnight bus. And also when it comes to... Um, yeah, the, the content that we're going to get, of course, on the next episode, I'm going to have some interviews for you and uh, it's going to be like the, like every time when I go to an event. Koblenz, of course, being my first trip of 2024, it was like in a bit of a perfect week for me because uh, I'm not working too much this week and I just was able to, uh, you know, dedicate a lot of time to this. I also don't have any... Um, well, never mind. I, I have some commitments sometimes in, in Poland still. But um, I uh, I just don't have any this week either. So this was a really perfect week to travel somewhere. And of course, Koblenz being the only European event was the natural choice. And it's also fairly close to me. Um, actually, um, you know, I went by bus, which was a bit long, but I'm going to be flying back. And it will only be like an hour and 30 minutes from Dortmund to, to Gdańsk. So uh, it's going to be uh, pretty cool. So it's a, it's a good trip to start, this, start the year on, I think. Anyway, uh, let's head to the next challengers, which are all challengers 75 this week. Probably the most exciting one is in Piracicaba in Brazil. So I think that's where we're going to go. Alejandro, uh, Alejandro, Andrea Colarini was the defending champion, but interestingly, he's actually not in the event, which is a little surprising to me, given he's been playing until recently, but maybe maybe he um, got injured or something. I actually don't know. Anyway, Piracicaba has an altitude, like is at altitude. It is 547 meters altitude. So we have to factor this into our considerations when it comes to the draw. 
it kind of makes it a bit weird that Tiranta isn't playing it, by the way. But, uh, well, yeah, and yeah, Pir- uh, Colarini did withdraw from Piracicaba, by the way, I just checked. So it seems that he might indeed be injured. And yeah, the top seed is Federico Coria. And as I hinted earlier, he is once again playing Renzo Olivo. Then you've got Juan Bautista Torres, João Lucas Reis da Silva, Hernan Casanova plays a qualifier, and last week's champ in uh, Punta del Este, Gianluca Mager plays Alejandro Gianessi. Alejandro, again, Alessandro. What am, what am I doing with these names? I mean, maybe it's that overnight bus and sort of the patchy sleep that I got uh, that is making me at 7am now confuse all the names. But anyway, Santiago Rodriguez Taverna is the fourth seed playing a qualifier, then Vice or a qualifier. We've got Eduardo Lovano as well in this section. Two more qualifiers, Mateusz Puccinelli de Almeida. So it's like a bit of a second quarter is um, very unclear for now. And then in the bottom half, Marco Cecchinato faces Guido Andreozzi. That's an exciting round one for sure. Orlando Luz faces Felix Gil, Gerard Campagnali against Pedro Sakamoto. Wasn't that a match somewhere recently? And, and this one is exciting at altitude. Eduardo Ribeiro plays Ivan Gakov. Juan Pablo Fikovic, AFC, faces Timo Stoder. There's Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo against the qualifier. And the second seed is Camilo Gucarabelli, who's going to play Carlos Taberner. That's another good one. There's also a battle of uh, Brazilians, uh, wildcards, Nicolas Zanelato and Mateusz Alves. So, hmm, what are we going for here is the big question. And I think when it comes to the qualifying, we just have to mention that there were a few maybe dangerous opponents, potentially like Federico Agustin Gomez, Parena, Kilian Feldbausch. Oh yeah, if Kilian Feldbausch qualify, I want to see that. Although he has a pretty tough uh, final round against Marty Pujolras. But um, yeah, still we're probably sticking to someone in the main draw, except... I don't really know whom, you know. As we said, this is an, this is an altitude event, so I don't want to pick someone like Gakov to, because he might lose to Ribeiro. I think Coria might easily lose to Alti, Olivo or Reis da Silva. Uh, I'm definitely not picking Mager to go back to back. I think that would be a bit much. So yeah, it's a big mess. I I, I really am struggling. Juan Pablo Fikovic is usually amazing on altitude, right? But do we just blast him here? I think we might, just because I have no other ideas. And even though the match against Stoder already seems pretty tough, of course, this is a guy that really enjoys altitude conditions. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try Juan Pablo Fikovic and let's see how it goes. It's a bit of a, yeah, just, I just, I'm just picking him not, not because of form of, honestly, not even because of quality, but because he always performs at altitude, or at least almost always. Sometimes Facundo Mena was that sort of a peak for Miori Jakub, right? where we were just like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's altitude. We got to go Facundo Mena. And now I'm just going to try Juan Pablo Fikovic on a, on a bit of a similar uh, hypothesis, I suppose. Yeah, and with that, I think we can head to the next event already, which is in Cleveland. And in Cleveland, we've got uh, Alexander Kovacevic, of course, who is the defending champion. But having just broken the top 100, Kova is not defending his title. And the top seed is actually James Duckworth, who's playing Toby Alex Kodat. Then you have a couple of qualifiers, and then Queen Van de Castelle, with a wildcard, plays Bruno Kuzuhara. Thomas Fankert uh, plays Mitchell Kruger. I wonder how Mitch is going to do, like, is he going to keep going after Indian Wells? Um, Emilio Nava, third seed, playing a qualifier, then Lucas Kerchor, a qualifier. And this is a pretty weird section as well, with Kipson, Nathan Ponwith. Uh, Roberto Sid Subervi and Marfi Casson. Roberto Sid Subervi 
that, that feels like a name we haven't seen at the challenge level too much recently, right? I mean, I, I don't really remember him playing much from, from yeah, maybe even some time. Let me, let me check that, actually, uh, while I'll talk about the bottom half of the draw. Tennis Sandgren plays Team Handel, and then Fanslow were a qualifier. Noah Rubin was supposed to play someone interesting. I think it was Lerner Teen, but then Teen must have retired, must have withdrawn. Uh, we've got Denis Kudla as the fourth seed playing Keegan Smith. And then Aiden Mayo, the eighth seed, plays Ethan Queen. We've got Strong Kishheimer against the qualifier. Tyson Kwiatkowski plays Nick Chappell. And I like that one at the bottom as well between, between James Kent Trotter and Zachary Sfaida. I mean, maybe if Trotter just throws everything at Sfaida, maybe he can beat him. I don't know. But yeah, when it comes to Sid Subervi, so he actually won a 25k, which I missed. And earlier he was in the Santo Domingo uh, semis, of course, at the end of last year. But when it comes to the challengers, yeah, August was the last time we saw him in a challenger. So yeah, basically August and in August he played a couple, including, of course, a wildcard to the Santo Domingo challenger. So I was kind of right that we haven't seen him in a while. However, he did win that uh, 25k. Uh, which I guess, guess I just didn't pay attention to. Beating Noah Rubin and Nick Chappell in the process, so actually that was pretty decent, right? And I think Axel Neve, that was also like a pretty good junior, right? A few years ago, maybe? Or am I... Is is that not right, actually? I'm I'm not too sure, but I think Neve was a, was a good junior. Oh, top 60, yeah, played some slums. Uh, I guess pretty decent. Anyway, uh, let's see when it comes to the qualifying, what do we have here? First round should have ended. I mean, there's the real estate broker in Matija Pekotic, <laughs> Gabi Boitan, who was supposed to like do some stuff, let's say, after college, but never really did that so far. Stefan Kozlov. Oh my God, Stefan Kozlov is facing Ezekiel Clark again. I don't know if you guys remember that Indian Wells match, but uh, it featured like a 110 minutes second set or something like that. Like it was it was insane. And um yeah, other than that, Rafia Yeni beaten by William Grant today. Interesting. There was also like a pretty pretty big upset with Vishva Aduru, who apparently plays for some pretty weak college, beating Justin Roberts, the Bahamas player. But anyway, yeah, probably no one who can really win the title, maybe outside of like Pekotic. Um so who are we going for for here? I think Duckworth has started the year pretty well. And honestly, I'm struggling to see how I don't pick him here. Like Kruger in the quarters is a is a is always a threat, I guess. Emilio Nava also could win this title easily. Hmm. But yeah, Nava keeps on quarter. That's pretty tough. The the top half seems a lot more stacked. So it might as well be Svaida again, or like Kudla or whoever really from from the bottom. But I'm just going to bank on the fact that maybe even if they have a slightly easier route to the final, the player from the top half who I expect to be Nava or Duckworth or maybe Gibson, I expect the player from the top half to, to beat whoever comes out of the bottom. So all in all, I think my pick has to be James Duckworth here. I just think he started there pretty well. He got back into the top 100 and to me, he's the best player here. And uh, Bernie, the last challenger, it's a challenger 75, outdoor hard in Australia. And Rinki Hijikata, the defending champion, is still playing this, despite being ranked around 70. And he outranks the rest of the field significantly. So let me just tell you that Mark Polmans is actually the second highest ranked player in the field. So it's like basically double uh, Hijikata's ranking. 
And when it comes to Bernie, because it's that time zone where basically they're already playing some main draw matches right now, I can already tell you that Hiroki Moriya, Mark Polmas and uh, Takahashi, uh, what's Takahashi's name, Yusuke? Yusuke or Yusuke? Um, that they are already into the second round. We also have the qualifying finished. So we have some results coming in already. Uh, Yusuke, not Yusuke. Anyway, uh, yeah, when it comes to uh, other matches also there, McCabe is on the way to beating De La Vedova. Uchiyama is up a set on Delaney. And also uh, Langmo and Haliak are locked up in a tight third set. So we know a lot of stuff already here. So it's going to be slightly easier with the winner picks, I suppose. But let's start with the draw, which is Rinki Hijikata playing Takuya Kumasaka, then Scott Jones or Omar Jasika. We've got Ryo Noguchi playing Blake Mott, then Matt, um, Matthew? Uh, no, Moerani Bouziga. I forget. I always forget his name because it's like very uh, indigenous, right? Uh, then he plays Dane Sweeney. Sweeney is the fifth seed. There's a great round one between Tristan Skullkate and Luke Savi. Yuki Mochizuki plays Hayden Jones. I'm really excited. To, I'm really excited to see how Hayden Jones plays. He recently took a set of Ugo Carabelli right at Australian Open Qualies, and he also had a good run in the junior event, beating Berketa in the process. There's Kokoro Isomura against Shintaro Imai. Blake Ellis faces Filip Sekuric. I would love a great run from Sekuric, but I definitely do have some PTSD after that um, run at the Australian Open Qualies, or rather a lack of a run when he lost to Roca Bataya. Uh, McCabe, as I said, he's basically won already and he's playing Moria next if he converts from 6-love 4-2 against De La Vidova. There's uh, Stefanos Sakelaridis against Alex Bolt and also Matt Hulme, a qualifier, plays uh, Adam Walton. And then in the bottom section here, we've got all these matches that have already finished, like on the verge of finishing. So Uchiyama up a set already. He can play if he wins against Bradshaw or Takahashi. No, sorry, Takahashi has already won, right? Yeah, so against Takahashi. And also Langmo or Haliak will play against Polmans. Um, when it comes to the qualifying, which, I, as you guys know, already finished, of course, we don't really have to talk about it because we have all these guys in the draw already. Uh, I guess no one of the qualifiers is particularly dangerous. Maybe like Shintaro Imai is the biggest name. So yeah, definitely nothing crazy here. Um, by the way, a lot of Japanese qualifiers, it seems. Four of them, two of them Australians. And of course, yeah, this is a very Australia-Japan event, just like always really in this part of the world. So in the main draw, basically, we only have... The top half is only Australia and Japan. Whereas in the bottom, we have Sakalaridis, we have Shazal, who is French, but he is from New Caledonia, so he's actually local to the area, yes. And also we've got uh, Christian Langmo from the States and Mikhail Haliak, who is Belarusian, so he doesn't play under any flag. Uh, when it comes to the doubles, let me see if there are any uh, some players from other countries as well. I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's just the same set. Australia, Japan, plus uh, Langmo, Shazal, Haliak, and Sakaridis. But anyway, uh, yeah, who am I picking here? So Rinki Hijikata is the obvious selection. Now the question is, do I go for it? I think the top half is a little more competitive. Although, yeah, some of the big names here are really good. Like, imagine if we get quarterfinals like this. Hijikata, Sweeney, Skulkate, Sakulic. And then in the bottom, McCabe, Walton or Bolt, doesn't really matter. Um, Uchiyama, Polmans. These are awesome. So actually, you know, the, the names, the top sort of the, the top of the field is really good. It's just the depth of the field is missing, which is often the case in, in these Australian challengers. Uh, 
But anyway, um, I think I still pick Rinky. I don't know if his head is going to be in the game because yeah, at this point, this title, like he's defending some points, but it's not that massive. Uh, given some of the other results that he's been posting, especially on the main tour. But yeah, the first two rounds, I really like him to get the quarters. And from there, I guess it will be much more even between most of the players he's going to face likely than uh, maybe it seems through his ranking. But he's still the favorite in every match he plays this week, I believe. So yeah, I'm just going to go with Rinki Hijikata and sort of not look back. I think it's a, it's a perfectly fine selection here. Pretty boring, of course that I'm picking Hijikata, but um, yeah, sue me. I mean, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be brave here, and I'm just literally going to play like this. And uh, okay, so uh, basically this is this is it then. As I said, uh, next week we're going to have some extra content from Koblenz, hopefully, you know, if I manage. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to get to the venue in a couple of hours and uh, finally see it for it for myself and... Uh, yeah, experience it for the first time. And um, yeah, watch Kližan and Krajinovic live too, which apparently I have not done ever. So uh, it's going to be fun for sure. And uh, all these round one matches today as well. Dambelucci, Blocks, Pecci, Pericard. Really good. I mean, these are basically some youngster next-gen battles. And of course, these are the best. Absolutely. So uh, again, guys, thank you for this week. Thank you for listening until the end. And I'm going to talk to you in seven days uh, with that Koblenz extra content, but more in general, just talking about Koblenz, uh, Pirasikaba, Bernie and Cleveland. Uh, Bye. See you then.